Luke chapter 17. And uh, Luke 17, Jesus, you know, we've been, these last two chapters, Jesus has been really addressing the Pharisees who have been in the audience. But in chapter 17, he's back to the disciples. And he has some really strong words. Uh, expectations for those who follow him. There's some hard questions that uh, Jesus would have us ask ourselves this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the first 10 verses of uh, this chapter. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Can I have an amen there? Okay. Jesus is agreeing that temptations are all around us. They're sure to come. But then he says this, but woe to the one through whom they come. Okay. He has some strong words for believers who are a stumbling block for others, for other believers or, or uh, those who are young in the faith. Verse 2 says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Okay? How dare we cause those who are either young in the Lord or little ones, referring to children, how dare we try to cause one of these little ones to, to sin? So verse 3 says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I told you this is going to be a hard message this morning, okay? Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And then verses 7 through 10. I mean, this, this sounds like Jesus is making God out to be an ungrateful dictator. Okay, of us. And we'll get into this, but this is what Jesus says. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Difficult words. And Jesus. Um, says this about us um, in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. 
You know, how many of us, when raising our children, our kids would come to us and they would tattle on a brother or sister. So-and-so is doing this. They're being mean to me. You know, this happened yesterday. Uh, Preston, our grandson, his, it was his four-year-old birthday. Mom's doing that right now. <laughs> for Nicole. Uh, but Pre- Preston's four-year-old birthday party was yesterday. And after the party, um, the grandkids were over at the house. And, and Preston came in about ten times tattling on his older brother, Logan. That Logan was being mean to him and to Ellie. And moms and dads, what do we say when we have one of those kids who kind of always tattle on somebody else? Do we have a phrase? What do we like to say? Mind your own business. Yes, that's a favorite one, isn't it? Well, this is what Jesus is saying to us as followers of his. We need to pay attention to ourselves, verse three. All right, and uh, and so instead of looking at everybody else and pointing the finger of what they're doing wrong, we need to we need to seriously evaluate ourselves. Are we are we paying attention to ourselves? Um, Paul tells this to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, to watch yourselves carefully and watch over the flock uh, of the Lord Jesus. But uh, we, need to, we need to take care of the log that's in our own eye before we focus on the speck that's in somebody else's eye. I think Jesus had something of, said something of that nature at one time. And so, uh, and so Jesus is asking us to watch ourselves and he's, he's going to, um, he, essentially in this passage of scripture, he's going to give us four questions. We're going to walk through these four questions this morning in, um, in checking, watching ourselves. Okay. And the first question is this in verses one through three, am I causing others to sin? Am I causing others to sin? Now, Jesus says, now, when temptation is sure to come our way, but woe to the person who creates a stumbling block for someone, others who are weaker or younger in the faith. Jesus says it's, they would be better off with a millstone wrapped around their neck and tossed into the ocean than to face the wrath of God. I mean, Jesus is serious about this, that we not put stumbling blocks into younger people's lives, younger in the faith. My question to you this morning is, are you causing others uh, to stumble? And how do we cause other people to stumble? One of the stumbling blocks could be the stumbling block of indifference. I don't care anymore. You know, this is, this is a serious message for us as dads, as husbands, in leading our families. Uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. But if we ever get to a point, dads, where we, we convince ourselves or the enemy convinces us, what does it matter? You know, I'm tired. This church thing just isn't working. And, 
And so we slack off and we don't lead our families. And guess what? That influence just permeates into our spouse and into our children, the stumbling block of indifference. What the? What about the stumbling block of, of a critical spirit? Where we're just looking at everything half empty. And we're not just keeping that criticism to ourselves, but we're, we're encouraging others to see the same things that we see. And so that critical attitude kind of spills over into other people's hearts and lives. And, and it's a downer for them just as much as it's a downer for you. Are, are you being critical um, and sharing that, freely sharing that with other people and, and that negative attitude influencing them? There could be the stumbling block of immorality, you know, that we're just... We're just loose with the decisions that we make and, and we watch things that uh, negatively influence our kids. How about the stumbling block of our language? Do you have a language at church that's different from the language at home? I want you to know, Mom and Dad, your kids are going to pick up on that hypocrisy really fast. And they'll follow you to church while they're young. But when they're of age and they're making their own decisions, because they didn't see Christianity work for you, uh, they, they're going to decide themselves that Christianity isn't for them as well. Uh, there needs to be a heart of integrity and, and purity that we're the same at church, that we are at home or in our place of employment. And if we're not, that's a pothole for those who are looking at our lives, who are coming behind us. Jesus says, woe to you. Stumbling block of personal preferences. I mentioned this in the previous service. Uh, you know, you come to church and you want... You want worship to be about you. I mean, you want to sing the songs that will help you to worship. Because if we don't sing those songs, well, you really haven't worshipped. I want you to know, friend, it's not about you. It's not about me. We sing for an audience of one. It's all about Him, and we are here to glorify Him and to worship Him. And whatever song we sing, it's all for Him. That's why we're here, to worship. But when we have these personal preferences and we grumble and complain, it just makes it difficult for the church and decisions that are being made. Stumbling blocks. Jesus says this is a serious issue. Look at James 3, 1 through 5. This is Jesus' half-brother, and he says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guarded by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We need to be conscientious and careful of the words that we share with others because it can dramatically influence them one way or the other. And Jesus says we are not to be a stumbling block, a pothole in other people's lives. So am I leading others to sin? Second, am I learning to forgive? What a difficult question. Jesus says in verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. What Jesus is saying here is there's no room for indifference when it comes to evil. There's no room to just turn the other cheek that as, as believers in Christ, we have a responsibility to go to that person. And in going to that person, we need to have a heart of humility and love and compassion in confronting that person. And if we, as we rebuke them, the Bible says, if they repent, we are to forgive them. If they repent, we are to forgive them. Are you learning to forgive? Are there, are there people or a person in your life that you're having a hard time forgiving? There's, there's some of you, I mean, as you grew up, there, there's things that occurred in your life that I can't imagine. And you've been struggling with this your entire life. And as I talk about forgiveness this morning, this person is just forefront in your, in your brain. And you can't forgive. And you won't forgive. Because you can't forget this person. I just want to encourage you this morning. God understands where you're going, what you're going through. He is the only one. But if you don't learn to forgive, and when I say forgive, that doesn't mean that you're allowing this person to become your best friend, that you're going to trust this person with your children. No, I'm not talking about going there just talking about letting him off the hook going on with your life if you can't if you can't forgive this person i guarantee you you will never forget but if you do forgive this person you give yourself the possibility to forget not saying that you will, 
but the possibility is there. I know that this is a really hard thing. C.S. Lewis says this about forgiveness. Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And I want you to know as your pastor, I struggle with this too. On rare occasions, and I'm thankful that they're rare, there are times that I have to go in humility and love and compassion and rebuke somebody who's in sin. There was there was a time several years ago now that I had to rebuke someone on more than one occasion. In fact, six times I had to go to this person. And each time they repented. But they really didn't repent. And their decisions, their behavior wasn't just affecting them, but it was, in fact, in, in, impacting and affecting a whole other family. The whole family, kids as well as husband and wife. And as their pastor, I had to be honest with them and loving and firm. And I wish I could tell you that I, I was Christ-like in every one of those confrontations. But every time, every time I had to have another conversation, I got a little bit more emotional and angry. And I had to take witnesses with me. And I have, I saw some things in me and these other guys I, who went with me saw things in me that I didn't know were in me. My wife has never seen me respond the way I had to respond or I felt like, I, I, I really, I felt like Jesus in the temple, that righteous indignation. But I'm sure I wasn't like Jesus. And again, They repented. But I found out again that they really hadn't repented. And our eyes met because that person knew that I knew. And they didn't come back to church. And I wish I could tell you this morning that I've forgiven. But I still struggle because they haven't repented. And maybe you're there. And as your pastor, I understand. But Jesus is telling us that even if they haven't repented, we still need to forgive. Because, and, and it's difficult. You know, this is a small town. <laughs> and my path crosses with this person occasionally. 
I try to be cordial. But I'm still in an emotional prison and they're still in an emotional prison. But we've got to forgive. I like Twitter. I know a lot of you guys don't like Twitter. You like Facebook, but you're not not, not into Twitter. But uh, I looked up, uh, I searched the word unforgiveness or bitterness on Twitter. And uh, I came up uh, with these little tweets that I want to share with you. 140 characters or less that might help you to remember some of these things when it comes to bitterness and the danger of unforgiveness. Number one, bitterness is like an acid that only destroys its own container. You got bitterness in your heart this morning, friend? It's only destroying you. You're the container of that bitterness. Next. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It ain't going to happen. You're only killing yourself. Third. Unforgiveness is like allowing people to live in your mind rent-free. Can I get an amen? What is the blessing of forgiveness? Next bullet. Forgiveness is slapping them with an eviction notice in your heart and getting your life back. Some of you need to slap some people. (laughs) Not physically. (laughs) Even though you want to and I want to. You need to hand them an eviction notice. So you can get them out of your mind. The word wants to set you free. And what Jesus is telling us to do do is impossible in the flesh. But praise God, we serve a God that has the capacity to remember our sins no more. Amen? The Bible says in Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's what God has done for us. And God can give us the power, the ability to forgive and maybe give us the possibility one of these days of forgetting. But we're humans. We know how hard that is. And every time that this person comes up in your mind, you need to treat them like you can treat the computer screen and you take that mouse and you hit the button no thanks or delete and you keep forgiving so that you can be set free so that you don't have to be in this emotional prison for the rest of your life hard stuff And the disciples are listening to this stuff and they sarcastically come back to Jesus in verse in verse five and says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We can't do this, Jesus. Are you kidding me? And what does Jesus say? And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted, uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Forgiving is tough 
stuff. But Jesus says, you don't need a whole lot of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. Mustard seed faith. You know what a mustard seed looks like? Let's bring up this picture. That's a mustard seed. If you just have that amount of faith, Jesus says you can take a mulberry tree, uproot it, and plant it in the ocean. Literally? No. That's just a metaphor. But whatever impossibility you are facing, whatever mountain I am facing, it can be moved. Not with a huge amount of faith, just a little faith in a great big God. Because it's only God who can do the impossible. We serve a God that says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Luke one thirty-seven. Am I learning to forgive? That's the third question. Or that's the second question. And the third is, am I living by faith? Am I trusting God to give me the capacity to forgive somebody else? You can't do it in the flesh. Which brings us to number four. The three questions so far, am I causing others to sin? Am I learning to forgive? Am I learning to live by faith? And number four, am I doing my duty? Now, verses 7 through 10, what in the world is Jesus trying to say to us? It makes us makes it sound as if God is some ungrateful dictator. But there's an attitude that Jesus wants his followers to avoid in this passage of Scripture. He wants us to avoid the older son syndrome of Luke chapter 15. You remember the older son? I mean, the older son, when the prodigal, he... He took uh, the inheritance, he squandered it, came back and, and asked the father to forgive him. Father forgave the older son. He was irate. He was the religious one, okay? He, he was the heart of the Pharisees. And the religious son or the older son was living in a way that, uh, that the father was going to be in debt to the son. I mean, this son was loyal. This son was... Faithful. He could always be counted upon. And so whatever the son, the father was going to give to the son, the son deserved. Because he was a good person. And Jesus in this passage of scripture is telling us as his followers to avoid living a life as if God is in debt to you. Listen. We are all unworthy servants. It's only because of the grace of God in our life that we're his children today. It's not 
because of anything we have done. You know, when we take on this older son mentality, there's times in our lives that circumstances don't go according to what we planned. And when our life goes south, we begin to think to ourselves, we get angry with God. God, I've been so faithful to you. How could you allow these things to take place in our life? Scripture never guarantees us in this life that you're always going to have it your way. That it's always going to be smooth sailing. It never gives us that guarantee. And I want you to think of of believers in third world countries or Muslim countries. Christians who every day live in fear of their life because of their Christian faith. This is not their home. They know that they're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that the best is yet to come. We're just passing through here. But when we have an older son mentality that God owes us these things, and then when life doesn't turn out the way we anticipate, we get angry with God. And Christianity didn't work. Jesus said, avoid that mentality. Don't go there. Live your life as an unworthy servant and being grateful for all that God has done in your life. If there's a picture that would um, describe how we're to live our lives, it's in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. We're going to get there in a few weeks. But you have two men praying. You have the Pharisee, who has this condescending, holier than thou, uh, better than the tax gatherers, uh, you know, life. And he's telling God, God, thank you. You didn't make me like that person. God didn't hear his prayer. And then there's this tax gatherer who can't even look up to his heavenly father. And he's just beating his chest and he's, he's crying, Father, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. And the Bible says that God hears that prayer. That needs to be our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? There's nothing that we have that we haven't received from him. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We know that all that we have can only come from God. And we should be grateful for all that he's done in our life. I want you to think for a minute about people that you know that just the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They love to serve him. They come to church and it, it, there's nothing. Uh, they're not into personal preferences whatsoever. They're just here to, to, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They're here serving him because they love him. Those kinds of people 
are the most spiritually mature Christians I know. I love being around those kinds of people. Those people are easy to pastor. And I wish the whole church was comprised of those kinds of people. And this is the place that God wants to get all of us to. And I'm far from being there. And often I ask, I ask God, God, help me to be like Pastor Payton. Pastor Payton was the former pastor of this church before I became senior pastor. Pastor Payton, his heart's desire to, is to be in the church where his grandchildren are worshiping. And if you know anything about Pastor Payton, he's going to Clovis Hills Community Church. As a, here is an, how, how old is Pastor Payton? 84, 85? He's in a very contemporary church with very loud music with a lot of younger people. And he loves the Lord Jesus Christ and he's worshiping with that generation because Pastor Payton says it's not about him and his personal preferences. It's about the generation that's coming behind me that we need to reach with the gospel. I want to be in that kind of church. The church has undergone a lot of changes over the last 30 years. And I don't know what the church is going to look like 30 years from now. But I want to be in a church that's preaching the gospel and reaching the next generation that's relevant for that age group. Because it's not about me. I want to be a cheerleader for them. Those kinds of people are wonderful to pastor. And Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, verse 10, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now is God some ungrateful dictator? No. Because the Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, after he's separated the sheep from the goats and the sheep enter the kingdom, we're going to hear the words from our Father who says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your salvation. That's the Father we serve. But let's serve him because we're overwhelmed by the grace of God and all that he has done in our lives because we have nothing to boast about in and of ourselves. So here are the four questions. Number one, am I causing others to sin? Am I being a stumbling block? to young believers or my own children in my home? Jesus says, you'd be better off with a millstone tied around your neck than to face my wrath. Are you learning to forgive? I am. And I've got a long ways to go. 
and I'm sure you do too. But God's not calling us to do the impossible if we take our little bit of faith and put it in a great big God. Are we living by faith? Are we living our lives with hearts of gratitude for all that he's done? Not that God might be in debt to you or me. That's how he wants us to live our lives. Let's pray. As we pray, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. And it's only because of Jesus' great price for each of us that we, that we can live this kind of life that Jesus is calling us to live. Father, I thank you for your word. Not easy words. I've struggled with this passage this week. And I still struggle. But I thank you that, God, you understand. I pray that you would help me and to help others to take our little bit of frail faith and put it in you. God, help us to hit the delete button every time that person comes into our minds saying, no thanks, I choose to forgive. I choose to let go and let you. Forgive us, Lord, for the potholes that we've created for other people to stumble into. Help us to be Christ-like. If there's words of, of criticism or rebuke, Lord, let's go to that person and not to others. Father, thank you for Jesus paying it all. It's all to you, Jesus, we owe. And we worship. And we say thank you this morning. Would you please stand with me?